you are listening to Quality Time, a podcast designed to support Nebraskan providers through their journey with Step Up to Quality. I am your host, Colleen Schmidt. Get ready to listen as we prepare to elevate each other as we step up to quality. Welcome, everyone. Welcome back. Today might just be our most anticipated podcast yet. I am speaking with Ray Pika. Ray is a speaker, author, consultant, and whole child advocate. Ray focuses on the learning and the education and development of the whole child. Her work is primarily dedicated to the understanding, now confirmed through brain research, that the mind, body, the mind and body are connected and interdependent. Ray believes children do not exist only from the neck up. Ray is a powerhouse in supporting our workforce and advocacy, and I cannot wait to dive on in and get started with Ray. So Ray, first off, just thank you. Thank you for being here. Thanks for all the work you've done and that you currently do to support our workforce and our providers in the field. So tell our listeners a bit about your why. Why do you continue to do the work that you do, Ray Pika? Thank you, Colleen. Uh, thank you for inviting me and for that lovely introduction. And sometimes I ask myself, why am I doing the work I do when it does tend to feel a little Sisyphean, you know, pushing that boulder up the hill only to have it roll back down again. But I do it because the stories that I hear, you know, I keep mm -hmm. I have to keep trying to make things better. The stories that I hear make me want to, you know, scream and cry and pull my hair out. It's it's turned white because of everything. <laughs> you know, I'm sure that, that this field is the reason why. You know, just as an example, I hear about one-year-olds who are being required to sit for 20 minutes and memorize, you know, learn the letters and numbers on flashcards. Mm -hmm. And when asked why, the teacher says, because these are the things they have to know when they get to the twos classroom. I mean, these stories just, uh, there's just so much going wrong in early childhood education. And I'm compelled <laughs> to keep trying to, I can't fix it single-handedly, but I can, I can do what I can do. Oh, I love that you mentioned you can't fix it single-handedly. I wholeheartedly agree that we we have to collaborate and work together. We need to band together. I love that, Ray. Absolutely. Strength in numbers, right? That's right. And it fits your why fits so nice. And it is why your why is why we invited you on to be our guest for this podcast about advocacy. You are the queen of advocacy. You actually—that's oh, interesting. <laughs> I feel that's true. I—I I, I never thought of myself as an advocate. I never gave myself that label. But since, um, you know, writing the book, people have said, "Oh, you've always been an advocate." But I think what they mean is you've been ranting for years, and <laughs> and, and I suppose that's one definition of an advocate. So. Yeah. Yeah, I feel that's true. Well, let's talk a little bit about the book since you your recent book is on advocacy. It's called A Spark, Spark a Revolution in Early Education, Speaking Up for Ourselves and the Children. And I just finished it 
last week, right? I loved it. I nodded along. It made me cry just because Aww. it's so true about your, you saying that your why is the stories that you hear and then sharing some of those stories in the book. I feel like our listeners listening to this podcast can relate to that overwhelming sense of I have to do more, but I feel this battle between my head my heart on what I know is right with young kids and what I'm being asked to maybe do that, that example you just shared about, I'm trying to get them ready for the twos. (laughs) It's just, it's, it just was a really good uplifting read that made me feel stronger as an advocate because I do consider myself an advocate. It gave me tools to put in my pocket. It really just affirmed a lot of what I believe and know is true. Um, Thank you so much. That's just wonderful to hear. It's true. And I feel like sometimes we get a little bit, there's some gaslighting that happens for early childhood educators or working in our workforce or in our field where it makes us feel like, well, maybe we're crazy. Maybe we should be preparing them for kindergarten. I hate that phrase. I must prepare them for kindergarten. Uh, That makes me feel like, oh boy, what do I need to do? So that's a big part about being that advocate. So tell our listeners why. Why is advocacy in early childhood education more crucial now than ever? Oh, boy. Well, you know, gaslighting is a really interesting perspective that I hadn't considered. But but if you're told often enough, no, you're doing it wrong, you know, no, you don't know what you're talking about, you do start to believe it, even though you were in the right all along. But it's more advocacy is more important now than ever, because things have never been so wrong. You know, things have never been like this. It used to be that education policy didn't impact early childhood education. We were sort of left out of things. I had no idea how wonderful that was, <laughs> you know, where the, the policymakers just ignored us. And now everybody's talking about early childhood education and everybody has an opinion on how it ought to be. And I mean, they've always thought that uh, just because they went to school that they know how to teach, which is just crazy. It's like saying, you know, well, I've been a passenger in a plane several times. I could pilot the darn thing. I mean, you know, what the heck? So um, now, I mean, you know that they they don't think of early childhood education as a real job. They think that Mm -hmm. it just involves, you know, blowing noses and giving hugs and maybe watching TV all day long. It's uh, it's enormously frustrating. And as I say in the book, uh, a colleague once said to me, teachers for too long have been, you know, told to just shut up and do their jobs. And for too long, they've complied. And I think early childhood professionals especially are not compliant. That isn't what I mean to say, but we're the lovers, not the fighters. Yeah, you know, we we we're with the huggers. We don't um, envision ourselves as, you know, riding the white steed down the middle of the road, waving our sabers in the air. <laughs> that just that just isn't us. However, that doesn't have to be what advocacy is about. You know, you do think of yourself as an advocate. I didn't think of myself as an advocate, but you know what? We are all advocates just by virtue of the the 
the jobs we've chosen. And anytime we speak up for ourselves, anytime we speak with passion about our work, uh, anytime we share a story, we are advocating for the field. We just have to get more people aware of what's, you know, <laughs> that awareness level and the education. And uh, so, yes, just stop me before I start babbling. <laughs> Just listen to you go all day long. I just want to let you go, 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 go. But I think, I believe that words matter. And so if we start saying that we are advocates or like how you just said, you know, by trade, by signing up and saying, I am an early childhood professional. Yes. That equals advocate. And yes. there's lots of different ways. So, you know, it doesn't have to be this, I am going to tell them what's what. It doesn't saber waving. Saber saber waving. <laughs> it doesn't have to be saber waving, but it does have to be part of how we see ourselves and maybe even how we talk about what we yes. do. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, if if early childhood providers uh teachers in whatever position if they see themselves as professionals it makes a difference. And like you said, words matter. For those of us who write, you know, we, we've always known that, but we might not think of it in terms of, you know, the difference between saying daycare and childcare. Mm -hmm. No one's taking care of days. And if, and I'm I actually, I'm seeing daycare less and less, which is a good thing. You too. Oh, that's wonderful. Mm -hmm. So I think that maybe that's having a little bit of an impact and, and, I know people might not think, well, how is that going to make, you know, create change? I liken it to the drip in the faucet and it just, you know, starts as annoyance and and just drip, 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 begins to fill up the sink. And then eventually it, you know, overflows and floods the whole down house. So <laughs> it, we just got to keep dripping. <laughs> I think that's so true. And I also think just how we talk about what we do is a mm. big deal. So there are um, educators who I have heard say, I'm just, uh, I know. I'm yeah, just that's, I was just going to say that, that just word. I've been telling people you cannot, you're not just anything. You cannot use that mm. word. You mm -hmm. can say, I just love what I do, but that's the only time you're allowed to use it. <laughs> <laughs> I hear it all the time. I'm just a floater. I'm just a, that, that childcare setting could not function without our floaters or subs or whatever you want to use for that term. But the, I'm just a, the idea that we are less has yes. been around for a long time. Of course, because it's women's work. It, you know, mm -hmm. traditionally has been women's work. Um, I, I mean, yes, we need more men in the field. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Because because the children need to see both male and, and female mm -hmm. represented. But, but we don't need them so that we'll be taken more seriously. We need to be taken more seriously just as we are. Ooh, that just really gets me riled up. Yeah. <laughs> I, we could have a whole podcast on that, Ray. <laughs> yes, I'm sure. Oh, I can feel my blood pressure going. Woo. <laughs> <laughs> 
I've heard that same sentiment too, of if we had more men in leadership in early childhood or in the classroom, we'd be taken seriously. And I think that's a shame because we do, we yeah. have power. We, you know, we are thankful for the role models that we do have who are male early childhood professionals. I know several that are phenomenal, but that's not what we're looking for when we're talking about respect we want it no no it's it's the same thing as my friend who had a very expensive audi sports car and the electronics in it never worked correctly from the beginning she spent a lot of money on this car her husband's in the army he wasn't around she couldn't get anything done at that dealership her husband comes home walks in there and oh miraculously things Mm -hmm. are being done you know it's the same principle it's Mm -hmm. just infuriating Mm-hmm. I I love, love, love the idea of being an advocate more from this kind of internal, like, this is who we are. This is why we matter. This is why what we do is really crucial and important. And I do feel that the pandemic highlighted mm. the necessity of early childhood workforce. Yes. And, and then... Nothing. <laughs> and then nothing. I know. Just like me, you keep waiting for the revolution. So I decided to try to spark one on my own. Yeah, it's. I don't know what it's going to take. I really don't know what it's going. To, it feels as though. I mean, decades ago, when I lived in New Hampshire, um, one of the state legislators legislators was a, a woman who w- was an early childhood professional. Mm. And I remember her telling us that whenever she brought up the subject of childcare in the, the legislative meetings, you know, the old cronies <laughs> would say, oh, my wife never needed that. I mean, oh. and it doesn't feel as though things have changed since then. It's been decades. Wow. And the family dynamic and work balance of what the typical household looks like has definitely changed and shifted. And that to me is why we need to really start being stronger advocates for what we do because our field is so necessary and so important. So in your book, you do mention you have an entire chapter on it. It's titled advocacy can be easier than you think. So it doesn't have to be so scary or so intimidating. So can you kind of share some words with our listeners about maybe even you call them the ABCs of advocacy? How, how easy can this be? What can it look like? Yeah, I think that advocacy is a frightening word for a lot of people. You know, a a lot of people are, are not fond of speaking up. They're afraid of pushback, especially in this day and age, and I absolutely don't blame them. I had someone on Twitter yesterday uh, tell me, get a different job, lady. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, you've completely missed the point, mister, and I blocked him. Uh, (laughs) So... Uh, you know, there's there's that. Uh, and and public speaking, number one fear. I know. Uh, uh, greater than the fear of death, which is, you know, a little crazy, but um, but advocacy doesn't have to. I like to think of it as being a champion and that that, you know, doesn't involve speaking before Congress or addressing a school board or, 
you know, waving a petition in front of some administrator's face. Um, so the ABC, and we've talked a little bit about it already, you know, with with using our words, no just. Um, we are teachers, we are educators, we are professionals, we are, you know, providers, if that's what makes us more comfortable. Um, we are not, quote unquote, daycare workers, mm-hmm. because that that in people's minds reinforces the stereotype. I agree. Um, so, you know, using your words, telling your stories. Every time you're uh, at a social function and someone says, what is it you do for a living? You don't say the word just. You say, I'm an early childhood professional. I work with children birth to five, you know, whatever it might be. And we maybe tell a story about, some little one whose whose life just changed recently, you know, became uh, a little braver about reading, or you know, not not reading, but um, more excited about books or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Or we talk about why we went into the field, and and yeah. we let them feel our passion. I talk to Uber and Lyft drivers if I find out they're. A, parent. Uh, I was on hold one night. There was something wrong with my cable or whatever. And and while um, while the technician was looking up stuff, I could hear a little girl in the background. So she was working from home. And I said, oh, do you have a, a young daughter? And, and she told me, yes, yeah, she was a preschooler. And we just started talking about what her preschool experience should be like. And <laughs> You know, I um I was back in the days when you waited for uh, a table at a restaurant. I heard two women say daycare, and I just politely, you know, went up and said, "Excuse me, but I, you know, would you? Um, I'd appreciate it if you'd use the, the term childcare because mm-hmm. nobody's taking care of days." And they looked at me like I had three heads, but you know. Um, they had to have thought about it afterwards. You know, they had to have thought about the crazy lady. I just thanked them and went back to my place in line, you know. Um, and I've had several people lately, friends, family, start to say daycare and say, oh, I'm sorry, childcare. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it is making a difference. So it's it's really, I, I see all of that in, in terms of advocacy. I think I see professional development in terms yes. of advocacy. Talk we to me about that one a little bit more in detail. Why is PD part of advocacy? If we demonstrate that we're never done learning, and then if we model what we've learned, you know, I think it's especially, well, it's important to people who've been in the field a long time to see because they may just be doing things the way they've always been done. And then we have young Uh, teachers coming up who didn't have the same play experiences that you and I had as children and have also been raised with, with digital devices. Mm -hmm. And so, and I don't know what they're teaching them in university anymore, but I know my, my movement textbook is, you know, the royalties are quite pathetic. So the, 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 the courses that it's appropriate for, are just, you know, disappearing. They're going the way of the dodo bird. So uh, so we have to keep modeling best practices. Mm-hmm. And we, you know, we learn best practices through PD. And it's also, I think PD is empowering, as is being an advocate. 
Yeah. Ugh. I think that's so true. And I just think in my own short-lived teaching career, I got to a point where I almost had lost that growth mindset. Any mm-hmm. PD they were going to make me go to, I was like, rah, 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 this doesn't necessarily, and I feel like that was a hindsight's twenty twenty. but that's something that is a scary place to be when you no longer, as an early childhood professional, see yourself as having a growth mindset. Sure. Um, but it, it's a little harder, don't you think, when the, the PD is always prescribed for yeah. you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it might not, uh, you know, we just have to think if I just take one thing mm-hmm. from this session, it will be worth it. If we have that kind of mindset, we yep. can make it through. Absolutely. I think PD is a lot about attitude of what mm. you want to take out and take with you for sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I've Believe never me, really... I've read a lot of evaluations that let me know that they didn't really want to be there. <laughs> well, I think I've never really looked at advocacy in that light before as professional development being part of it and modeling our best practices of trying to learn, try new things, being vulnerable. It's okay to make mis- you know, all of those oh, things. Yes. It's okay to learn. It's okay to try new things, make mistakes. And I just feel, Ray, you do such a nice job of explaining advocacy in a way that doesn't feel so intimidating. I mean, it could be going to policymakers and stating it could be, um, but it doesn't always have to be your story about just informally chatting (laughs) while waiting for a table or, you know, talking to your Uber driver, like that's a line at the grocery store or the DMV. (laughs) But another big part of advocacy, and you mentioned this in your book, and this was interesting to me, was why it's really important to seek out support and collaboration with families and to try and gather our families to be part of the advocacy. Can you talk about the families a little bit? Yeah, I'd be happy to. If we look at, you know, the policymakers, you know, um, reaching them as top down, then starting with the families is bottom up. And I think that that is a, a more important approach because it will eventually reach the top, it gives us more numbers, which gives us more strength. They are all, you know, somebody's constituent. Mm-hmm. Um, and and they are, shall we say, the first line of defense. You know, if we, it was parents who really began the trend of academics-oriented preschools mm-hmm. um, because of this myth that earlier is better, which has taken hold in a big, big way. And so they parents started seeking academics oriented preschools instead of play based and you see the shift mm-hmm. I mean, there are fewer and fewer play based preschools now mm-hmm. so if we can help them understand that their children are going to thrive and you know do do even better have even greater success later in life in school and life with a play based preschool then we can get it we can get that pendulum you were talking about earlier to swing back the other way we need parents to understand developmentally appropriate practice you know 
they haven't taken courses in child development. Um, You know, why would they? They haven't taken courses in motor development. Why would they? Mm -hmm. And they don't have time to explore the research. So we need to share it with them enthusiastically, you know, with an open heart (laughs) and and just um, get that pendulum going back the other way. I think that's so true. Now, I am a parent and I did study (laughs) developmentally appropriate practices. So when my kids were ready to go to preschool, I made sure that they went to a place-based place that they would come home muddy with an empty backpack. That's, That's what I wanted, but I feel like not every parent understands that why and something that I pulled out of your book about sharing sharing the research with love and enthusiasm but not talking down to no. family. you know I think that's where it gets intimidating like they are their their child is their everything mm-hmm. and their baby is the most important thing in their whole life so it's good to be mindful when we're trying to support families with advocacy and research and best practice. Yeah. So some some of the ways, you know, I talk about sharing articles, whether it's in um, in person. Oh, I just read this great article on play. I thought you'd like to read it, too. Or you post it on the, the board outside the classroom where they're waiting, you know, because people like to have things mm-hmm. to read while they're waiting or with all those gazillions of apps that they have now yeah. with the, the emails and the newsletters that are so much easier to do than they were when <laughs> oh gosh people don't even know anymore what I'm talking about when I talk about ditto sheets and mimeograph <laughs> I'm really old um <laughs> so I mean all of that is easier now and and if not articles, photos, and videos. They say a picture is worth a thousand words, right? You show the children engaged in playful, joyful learning experiences, and you help them understand what it is they're learning. Or, you know, you you do have um, parent-teacher gatherings mm-hmm. where, you know, you just casually say, uh, you know, what, what do you remember most about your childhood? I'll bet you it has to do with play and I'll bet you it has to do with outdoor play. Yeah. And then, you know, take the conversation from there. A lot of directors have used some of my books um, for book clubs and a book club is wonderful because its whole purpose is to, to discuss the ideas in it. And so then you're not coming across as the know-it-all, but the thing is, if we can share this information without coming across as the know-it-all, we do gain respect in their eyes. You know, they do begin to see us as more knowledgeable and as as experts. And that's really important. I think that's so true. And you also mentioned in your book about, you use the acronym W-I-F-M. What's in it for me? And I think about that with as a parent, like I want only the, you know, there's all sorts of worries and anxiety around being a mama. Oh yeah. Lots, especially now with the pressure of we've got to go, go, go and do, do, do and be, be, be. Uh, So I think about what's in it for me as that parent. And I always want to have a relationship with my child's caregiver where I feel like I can trust them 
that they respect me as the mom or as the, you know, as the caregiver at home, like that, that relationship, I think maybe even has to come before the message is even received at all. What about, you know, in terms of what's in it for me, if we can help parents understand that parenting doesn't have to be as challenging as they're being led to believe these days. I mean, it was several years ago now, but after one of my keynotes, a young mother came up to me and she said, is it okay if I don't always play with my daughter? Mm-hmm. And honestly, Colleen, I stared at her for several seconds because I had no <laughs> idea what she was asking me. It was just, you know, the first time I'd heard that. And when I realized that she had been led to believe that if she didn't play with her child all the time, she wasn't a good parent. Yep. And that's that's horrible. You know, it's it's not true. And it's exhausting to believe that, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So if we can help them understand that parenting doesn't have to be as exhausting as they've been led to believe, that's a big whiff him. Yeah, a whiff him. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's very true. And it just takes some of the pressure off if you can have that relationship with your child's, you know, provider, caregiver, teacher, whatever word we want to use. If that relationship's there, then we can see ourselves as partners. And I think that's where the icing on the cake (laughs) comes in. Yeah, I'm afraid still too many uh, early childhood providers may think of parents as not necessarily the enemy, but as, you know, the other. The other, or even a lot of, and I'm guilty of this as a teacher, former teacher, uh, judgment, a lot of judgment of what must be going on at home. You know, there's a lot of unknown. So just breaking down those barriers and realizing that we're on the same team. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and then from the other side, you know, the, the parents are wondering what's going on in that classroom. Yeah. So, you know, communication, two-way communication. Absolutely. Oh, I think that's such a good way to look at that as being part of advocacy relationships with your families, uh, two-way communication, all of that is just, and the, I love what you said about the reality of what modern day parents are now facing those pressures. And it's, it's something. <laughs> yeah, I don't know where that, you know, the big one is earlier is better. And I don't know how it got started. It's it's gotten so out of hand. And, you know, schooling, education, life has become one great big competition. And that is exhausting. Yeah, it is exhausting. And I, I feel like the joy of what we get to do in working with young children is sometimes just being in the moment with them and just being part of what they're learning and doing. And like, that's the magic. Yeah. Well, yeah. And there's a lot of magic missing from childhood these days, you know, which is definitely part of my mission. Um, You know, if it's exhausting for the parents, we can't forget. And for the, for the professionals, we can't forget what all of this is doing to the little ones. You know, when you, when you have these unrealistic expectations that, give no consideration whatsoever to child development. It's just, you know, they're, they're unhappy. (laughs) They're Mm -hmm. unhappy. It's such a brief childhood is such a brief period in the overall lifespan. And it's supposed to be joyful. 
You know, I always, well, sometimes in my virtual presentations, I show the um, video clip from YouTube of um, baby goats in pajamas. <laughs> and I don't know why they're in pajamas, but it's called <laughs> baby goat pajama party or something. And they're leaping and frolicking and, you know, playing. And yeah, they're not human, but that's what the the young of all species is supposed to look like, you know, mm -hmm. joyful and and happy and free and playful. And we're taking so much of that away from the children, and I just can't bear it. I'm with you, Ray. I feel that too. I am an optimistic gal. I think having conversations like this help us to kind of unite and get more streamlined on our why. Oh, I hope like, so. I think they do. And another part of our podcast that we like to include, and I see it as advocacy, is a little bit about self-care. So can you share with our listeners, if you don't mind getting personal, but what does Ray Pika do for self-care and why does it matter in early childhood education? I love that you see that as part of advocacy. I'm not sure I would have made that connection, but you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, it's that whole, I don't know how I'm definitely paraphrasing. You know, we can't give a drink to someone from an empty glass, right? Yeah. I mean, we have to keep our own glass full. Um, everything seems worse when you're tired, when you're exhausted. You know, you feel powerless. Uh, it, it, everything seems hopeless. And we, you know, how how effective can we be if that's the way we're feeling? Um, I, a few years ago now, I think it's been maybe three years, started taking Fridays off. Mm. Um, I'm about to be 70. And I figured that was a teeny tiny little step towards semi-retirement. <laughs> uh, and now I can get the laundry and the groceries done on Fridays and I have an actual weekend. And honest to God, on Saturdays, most of the time, I'm binge watching something on TV. <laughs> uh, I start off the day reading a novel and then I usually end up, you know, lying on the couch and watching. And and I don't feel guilty about it anymore. <laughs> nope. Because I have to recharge my batteries. We all have to recharge our batteries. You just can't take care of somebody else. You know, we can't spark that revolution. <laughs> if there ain't no spark in the, you know, in, in our own engines. <laughs> that's, that's the next book. How to spark your own engine. <laughs> Oh, gosh. Oh, this was my 22nd. I do have a proposal out for the 23rd because I'm a complete lunatic. <laughs> I love it. Oh, my goodness. I think that I, I think that just having our listeners be able to hear you say that you binge watch Netflix and that's self-care. That gives a real good picture of self-care is not fancy. It's not a spa day. It's just loving yourself enough to be on the list. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, um, in just a little while, I'll be leaving for the chiropractor, you know, and that is, I mean, that's yeah. just another aspect of it. It's like, mm -hmm. I got the aches and the pains and um, walking up the stairs to the office exhausts me that, that I need to, you know. So yeah, there are various aspects of, of self-care and it doesn't have to be fancy and it doesn't have to cost anything. Nope. Doesn't have to cost anything. Yeah, and uh, I know how how blessed I am to be able to. You know, it's just me and the cat here. So, <laughs> um, 
He doesn't judge when I lie on the couch. <laughs> he doesn't say, come on, come on, let's go out. <laughs> he knows you need to recharge that battery. He probably yes, he is does. self-care for him too. Snuggles right up by you. He does come up and snuggle. We spoon. <laughs> oh, Ray, I, this was such a delight to just be able to have you be a voice. You just truly, truly are a leader in the field and loved by so many. And I just enjoy how you're just you and so authentic. And now I'm going to cry. <laughs> oh, it's true. And so knowledgeable. You have all that research in your back pocket and pull it out and share it. And I think that is being a true advocate for all the work you do. And we're just so, so thankful that you were able to share your voice and encourage all of our listeners to also start sharing their voices. Thank you for inviting me. This has been really, I've really thoroughly enjoyed talking with you, Colleen. Oh, me too. It's It's always so good to find a kindred spirit. Oh, well, thank you everyone for spending quality time with us. Please join again as we chat about future topics to support our Nebraskan providers on their journey with Step Up to Quality. Until next time, bye-bye. 